BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the host of Work Party, a podcast for ambitious women looking to create and cultivate the career of their dreams. Work Party is paving the way for a new generation of women, women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. Every Wednesday, we bring in leading female powerhouses for real talk and BS-free advice on building your business. You'll hear from female founders, CEOs, entrepreneurs, creatives, and so many other badass ladies. Are you ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Then tune into Work Party, the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. Hello from maternity leave. And as always, thank you for continuing to support the show and the content I put out there. It means the world to me to be able to spend this time with my family. And specifically, this time is something that is wildly important to me because I feel I want to give myself the space to really mentally like adapt to all of the changes, whether it be hormonal or lifestyle that come with a child and take the time to be present for all of that. And that is a large focus of today's episode. I am so honored that our guest, Ayana Lage, felt comfortable to come on here and share so honestly and vulnerably about her experience because I think the more we can have these conversations, the more A, hopeful like support we can get during these times, but B, the less alone other people can feel if they are experiencing something similar. So I followed Ayana for, I I don't know, like I think maybe a few years now. I don't know, but we have like been kind of quiet followers of each other, but I've always known who she was. I've consumed her content, et cetera. And I saw that she posted some articles and publications that she had done as a guest talking about her experience in a psychiatric ward because of postpartum psychosis. And I immediately was drawn to the subject and had a lot of personal questions, but was also just so proud is the wrong word, but like felt so many supportive emotions, I guess, towards her publicly sharing something so personal in such a public manner. So I reached out to her and asked if she would feel comfortable coming on here to share. And thankfully she did. And I think this is just a very honest 
an open conversation around a topic that is very serious and one that, you know, is a potential in postpartum, but I don't think many people discuss and maybe even those who experience it feel shame around. And so I really wanted to give her the mic to share her story. Ayana is a blogger. She's a mental health advocate, a writer, and as she claims, a chronic oversharer. So without further ado, here is our episode. Come on in, take a seat, pour a drink, pass one to me. Frickle food, and friends, talk about life's odds and ends. Throw away your hesitations, have unfiltered conversations. If you've got I'm so excited to have you on here. I've been following you for, I feel like a long time, but this is our first time really interacting other than like maybe a few comments and DMs, right? Yeah. It's so funny because I I see you and I feel like I know you, but then I'm like, this is our first actual (laughs) like face-to-face interaction. Instagram is so wild for that. Parasocial relationships are so odd, but I've loved your content and I followed you for a while and I reached out when I saw you post about treatment for postpartum psychosis because, A, I think the more we can discuss the severity of some people's postpartum experiences, especially tied into mental health, the better because the more people that will hear those stories, the more hopefully funding we will have for treatment, the more people will be aware that these are potential outcomes of an experience, the more kindness we will have for people going through them. I just think there's no harm in sharing these stories. There can only be more positive to come from it. So when I saw that, I was like, okay, I immediately need to read all of this. And I wanted to know your story. And then I reached out because there have been a few episodes where I've touched on, well, a ton of episodes I've talked about postpartum and I've discussed my mental health struggles throughout my life, pregnancy, postpartum, all of that. But we did have a member of the Freckles Foodie family come on and talk about postpartum depression specifically and her experience and all of that. And people really resonated with the story. And I think the deeper we can go on this topic, especially for someone who did seek inpatient treatment and the more we can learn and hear, the better. So A, I wanted to just say thank you for like the vulnerability in sharing your story so publicly, not only on here, but you've obviously been sharing previous to this because there is a lot, and I'm curious if you felt this way, of guilt and shame and confusion and so many mixed emotions when it comes to this topic. So I guess we can start there. Like, how did you feel? And then we'll dive into everything that happened. But how did you feel when you finally publicly shared this story? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for your kind words. And thank you for your own vulnerability. I feel like I always tell people, like, don't feel obligated to share your pain or your story. But I think so much good comes from it, you know, when we have these conversations. So I experienced postpartum psychosis in August of 2020, and I did not talk about it publicly until a few months ago. So for me, I think that I started like trying to write like a blog post. I started trying to write an Instagram caption like a couple months after. And thankfully, there was some part of me that was like, this is not a healthy thing to do. Like I had not processed any of it in therapy I had so many emotions regarding it. And I'm sure you can attest to, like, as someone with 
even like a modest following, like once you put something out there on the internet, you're going to be bombarded with people's opinions and their thoughts and their own experiences, which is like, I enjoy that. But like, if you're not ready for that, (laughs) it can be like a very drying experience. So to answer your question, I waited a co- like I would say, I mean, if I do the math, like two and a half years before I said anything about this outside of like my close friends and family, which I think made it easier for me to share because I'd already processed, I feel like, the hardest parts of it. It's interesting because it's something I struggle with, which what you're saying is so fucking important. And I think sometimes I am so quick to share things that I'm going through. I don't know why I feel that way. It's how I've always dealt with things, even in my personal life, not even like professionally. And it's something I'm working on with my therapist where she's like, why don't you do some of the own work yourself before going to people, whether it be friends or family members or this like platform that we've now created. And it's twofold because one, I think it's helpful to see and to hear people who are going through experiences at the same time. So finding those people in your life that you can share things with in real time. But I also think, especially with something at this severity, is really important to be able to digest on your own before opening yourself up. Because as you said, everyone has opinions, whether you're on a platform or not. And you're not always in a space that's ready to receive those opinions, even if it's just like, moving past them. You don't even have to engage, but you're still hearing them, seeing them, et cetera. Yeah. So I totally, I agree. Going into your pregnancy, like what was your history with mental health? Because I think that's something people always wonder when they hear about postpartum diagnosis of, oh, were you worried about this? Did you think it was a possibility? Did you struggle with your mental health beforehand? Like what was your relationship like with your mental health before having a child or before getting pregnant? Yeah, I had been diagnosed with depression. I'm like suddenly struggling to do math. Okay, I was diagnosed with depression four years before I got pregnant. So in my mind, postpartum depression was like a very real concern. And I had a psychiatrist who like specialized in maternal health. I had a therapist and like I made sure that like my husband knew all the warning signs of postpartum depression. And so for me throughout pregnancy, I kind of, I, I don't want to say that I was like anticipating it, but I was definitely prepared if it did happen. I knew nothing about psychosis. And I think in some ways, the fact that I was so ready for like a very specific outcome almost hurt me in the end because I did not know what other symptoms were concerning or alarming outside of depressive symptoms. During your pregnancy, did you notice any shift in your mental health one way or the other? So the interesting thing for me is that I feel like I was one of those people. I was on antidepressants during pregnancy, but I felt better in pregnancy. I mean, I was pregnant in 2020. So like the pandemic. So there was a lot going on. Yeah. But I did not feel like significantly worse. I actually scaled back on therapy. I was doing okay. So I didn't really have any reason to believe that things were going to get worse. I kind of was like, oh, well, just in case I'll have these resources available to me. Yeah. I ask only because my mental health plummets a bit during pregnancy. Mm. So I'm always curious of other people's experience selfishly. 
as I embark on this maternity leave, something I'm actively trying to do is spend some quality one-on-one time with my toddler. I can already see how easy it is to prioritize majority of your time on the newborn and forget to give one-on-one focus to the older kid. So one way I'm doing that is to have undivided attention through playtime. We are dedicating periods of time to put technology away and solely play. Of course, we are relying on KiwiCo to help us do so. They're redefining the future of play by making it engaging, enriching, and seriously fun. With super cool hands-on projects designed to inspire a lifelong love for learning, KiwiCo is turning playtime into an adventure of discovery. Each month, KiwiCo delivers crates packed with fun, kid-friendly topics and activities that cover everything from engineering robots to exploring the science of cooking. It is honestly like a treasure trove of creativity, all conveniently delivered to your doorstep. It does not get better than that. We are big fans in our house of the KiwiCo Marble Run and Art Easel that permanently just resides in our living room, but we also just ordered the colorful chemistry kit, and I cannot wait to watch our toddler experiment with it. I love watching his little brain develop and work through things because it is utterly fascinating to me. Unwrap more than a gift. Discover hands-on fun with KiwiCo. Get your first month free on any crate line at kiwico.com slash Cameron. That's your first month free at kiwico.com slash Cameron. You guys, this is an incredible deal. So run to their site and take advantage. You know what is a top priority for me right now? Sleep. And sure, it is usually up there in terms of things that I take very seriously and prioritize. But during this maternity leave, I am taking every minute I can possibly get. And who knew a better pillowcase could help so much with that? Thanks to Blissey, I am staying cool throughout the night and waking up with hydrated skin and hair. Blissey's award-winning 100% mulberry silk pillowcase is one of my new non-negotiables when it comes to sleep. Not only is it hypoallergenic, so you can sleep more comfortably without the itching, but they're machine washable and even have a zipper to hold your pillow in place. If you're like me, you severely overheat and even sweat a lot in your sleep. And I, I'm embarrassed to admit, but there have legitimately been times where I have laid towels down in the bed to soak up my sweat. And I'm not even talking about like during postpartum. I'm just talking about in general life. One of the things that always frustrated me was having to flip over my pillow to get to the cooler side. But thankfully, no longer because blissy pillowcases stay cool all night and help with the inevitable hot flashes. Whether you're looking to up your sleep game or gift to someone else, the Blissey Silk Pillowcase should be your next purchase. Perfect for a family member, close friend, or even your secret Santa gift exchange this upcoming holiday season. Blissey Silk Pillowcases are the best silk pillowcases on the market. They have a ton of different prints and colors, and they make great gifts because there's an option for literally anyone. Men love them too. They have over 1.5 million raving fans, and you could be next. Try now risk-free for 60 nights at blissy.com slash Cameron and get an additional 30% off. That's B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com slash Cameron and use code Cameron to get an additional 30% off. Give yourself the gift of a good night's sleep with Blissy. Going into postpartum, what were some of the things, and I did very similar work where I was working with a psychiatrist focused in maternal mental health during my pregnancy. I was on antidepressants. I had my therapist, all of these things. And we were similarly having conversations around postpartum depression before I had our son of just what might those things look for. What were some of the things that your 
professionals had told you to potentially look out for or were you cautious of? Because of my own history of, you know, diagnosed depressive episodes, I think that I was very ready for feeling fatigued, feeling just an overall sense of dread, not being able to get out of bed to shower or to eat. Kind of like the typical things you think of when you think of depression, you know, to struggle bonding with my daughter. Like I kind of was just, I think, very much in like thinking about negative mood changes and thinking like, okay, like I know what that looks like. I know I've got to call my doctor and call my therapist and kind of like enlist the whole team mm-hmm. if I start to feel like really gloomy and it just feels worse than, you know, the hormone changes that come with having a baby. Which is also so confusing because this was your first as well. And I remember feeling during postpartum like, well, what's just, I'm exhausted because I haven't slept because I have a newborn and my hormones are through the fucking roof and they're on a roller coaster. And what is, oh, I am depressed and this is something we should look into. So it definitely is a confusing line, I think, for many. And I also think that's why so many go undiagnosed or untreated because it's like, oh, well, you had a newborn. You're just tired. How did you feel mentally like after giving birth? What was that experience like from you from or for you from right away until like the first few weeks? Yeah. So it's so funny that you mentioned like not knowing what's what with like, okay, I just had a baby versus like it was this a serious medical condition because I was telling um, someone else recently about how there's kind of this conundrum where like we give new moms like a lot of grace for which we should obviously for their behavior and their mood and all of that. Mm. But inversely, if, and you know, I'll share like my symptoms, but if I had had these symptoms outside of postpartum, it would have immediately been a signal to anyone who knows me, like something is very wrong. But I think because it was intertwined with like having a baby, I had a very long traumatic labor, all of this, the people around me who know me best were unsure, like unwilling to say like, this could be something serious, you know, or it could just be recovery. But after I gave birth, I was completely euphoric. I was happier than I've ever been. I had more energy than I've ever been. I had a C-section after the first day or two, I just wasn't in any pain. I remember feeling just like superwoman. Like I just felt like I was born to do this. And I, I was also very like irritated because my husband was tired and he was kind of struggling with adjusting. And I was just very much like, what's wrong with you? This is so easy. Like we just have the best lives ever now. And that kind of evolved very quickly into me not feeling like I needed to sleep because I was just like so wired and so full of energy and like just basking in, in, you know, new motherhood. And I would say probably five or six days after my daughter was born and probably like three days after getting home from the hospital, I started to take a turn toward paranoia and not trusting anyone around. We had postpartum doula. My mom was there. My husband was there. I didn't want anyone to be around the baby. I didn't trust anyone. And I kind of just started to have a sense that like someone was out to get her. And then I want to say eight to nine days after she was born, I started to have delusions where I was hearing vocally like messages about people who were going to try to kill her or kill me and just like just basically like a lot of nonsensical stuff, but I was just very afraid of something happening to her. So 
10 days after that was kind of like the big turning point. And I was admitted to a local psych ward because I reached a point where I think I started, like I had like kind of just like a moment of clarity where I was like, I need to go to the hospital right now. Something is wrong. And I didn't know what it was. At this point, I think my family was still trying to hold on to this idea of like, this could be a fluke. You know, we can work with her psychiatrist, change her meds. You know, this is like the peak of the pandemic. If I go to the hospital, I could bring COVID back to my preemie daughter. This is way before, you know, the vaccine. And also, I'm not going to be able to see anyone. There are no visitors during this period. So no one wanted me to go to the hospital, but it became apparent that that's what needed to happen because I reached a point where I was like having vivid delusions and had lost touch with reality. I'm so sorry that you experienced this. I want to make that very clear first and foremost. And I'm also curious, when you were having these initial feelings of paranoia, of not wanting anyone near your baby or feeling like you were the only one that could care for her, were you vocalizing these? What did that look like for, say, your partner or your mother or your postpartum doula who was with you? Were you saying only I can touch the baby or were you just kind of interjecting more when they were trying to do things? I think it started out, and honestly, a lot of the details are fuzzy for me, but I think it started out more kind of just like protective new mom, like, oh, you know, I remember we had like some extended family who came over and they'd isolated and masked and were like excited to be around. I was just like, oh, I'm not comfortable with you like holding the baby, which I think is normal for new moms. But then it Especially during that time. Yes. So that to me, like, that's totally fine. But then it became me, there was a night that I remember like- I was just like pacing the house holding her and I my husband was watching from afar because I was like so upset that he was trying to trying to intervene or trying to help or trying to be around because I, I told him I didn't trust him with with our baby. And so I remember him like literally like just standing like in the door of our bedroom just watching me pace with her all night. And I think that that was when one of the moments that it was like, okay, this is beyond anything that like we have heard of being a part of postpartum. And with the delusional thoughts and also experiences of hearing voices, and that's something I've heard a lot when it comes to postpartum psychosis, that the people experiencing this are hearing actual thoughts of whether it's telling them what to do or what's going to happen. Was that just throughout the day? You're like, what did that feel like for you? And were you in a mental state where you were like, wait, what the fuck is happening? Like, who is talking to me? something is wrong? Or were you in a mental state of not acknowledging that it felt different than normal? Does that make sense? No, it does. I think that the scary thing for me and the reason I think it took me so long to recover is because in my head, I felt like everything felt normal and everyone else was right. freaking out and everyone else was acting weird. And I didn't understand. I remember having a moment where I had some sort of thought, I think it was something along the lines, and this is very close to the hospitalization and me going, of like someone was trying to hurt my daughter. And I told my husband and I was frantic and he's like, she's okay. You know, no one's trying to hurt her. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like I have evidence. I have proof. The same way that like, if you or I got a phone call that like, oh, like your kid got hurt at school, you know, how you feel that panic and like, okay, I need to fix this. I need to, you know, make sure they're okay. That was like my response to these mm -hmm. perceived threats. So the delusions felt very real. I think that toward the end, once I was like medicated at the hospital, then I started to slowly come out of it. But literally for like two weeks, 
I just, I don't know. I like, I was believing everything that I was feeling and hearing. I mean, I've experienced this not personally, but with people who I know, and it's very real in the sense of you hear these things and, and it doesn't, I know in a clear mental state right now, if someone were to tell you, oh, you're going to hear voices, you're like, okay, well, I would know something is wrong. But when you're in that state, it's very easy to believe that they're real, they're happening, and that you're not the one that's wrong. Now that school is in session, it is time to rely on some easy, quick, and tasty staple recipes for family dinner. And this school year, it is all about Pillsbury Crescent Rolls and the deliciously simple recipes you can create with them. Plus, if you're anything like me, the scent of the delicious golden crust cooking in the oven will immediately spark childhood memories for you because my gosh, it has me feeling so nostalgic. Pillsbury Crescent Rolls can be a game changer in your kitchen. Sure, they are great as a side as is, but with just a few simple steps, you can fill, roll, and bake and whip up kid-pleasing dinner recipes that won't take all night. Simply roll up your favorite ingredients into a crescent roll and voila, you've got a quick and easy dinner spin on a weeknight recipe that will please even the pickiest of eaters. Pillsbury Crescents take center stage as they transform from a side dish to a main attraction. If you need some inspiration, check out pillsbury.com for tons of delicious recipes. They even have some great options for crowd pleasers now that it is football season. Think things like cheeseburger crescent ring, pepperoni pizza crescent roll bake, and chicken bacon ranch crescent rolls. Are you kidding? You can find Pillsbury Crescent Rolls in the dairy aisle of your favorite grocery store and have dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. Say goodbye to the stress of mealtime and hello to delicious simplicity. Find more weeknight dinner recipes at pillsbury.com and start your culinary adventure today. Your weeknight dinners will never be the same. I am nothing if not a creature of habit. My older sister and I had this conversation recently and we were trying to get to the root cause of like why I rely on my routine so much. And I think it's because after years of trying to figure out what works best for me, I finally know the roadmap for me personally feeling my best. And I am going to prioritize that whenever I possibly can. One of those habits is my morning seed DS01 daily symbiotic. As someone who struggled immensely, and I mean immensely, with their digestive health issues, I am so grateful to finally have found something that works for me and not only helps support my digestive health, but also promotes healthy regularity and stool quality. And yes, I am talking about the frequency of which I poop. If you know me, you know that is something I really care about. I especially love Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic because it is a remarkable blend of 24 strains that have been scientifically studied and clinically validated for its benefits. You simply take two capsules a day on an empty stomach, either 30 minutes before your first meal, like I do, or two hours after your last meal, and you'll start to see the benefits yourself that will, like me, keep you hooked. I've been taking it first thing every morning for the past few years, and it has immensely helped my gut health. I noticed a huge shift in my digestion and both the regularity and ease of flow with my bowel movements. I recommend it to honestly anyone who has ears. Start a new healthy habit today and visit seed.com slash Cameron and use code Cameron to redeem 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. That's seed.com slash Cameron and use code Cameron. So. You eventually admit yourself to, is it a psych ward or what? what is the correct terminology? Yeah, so it was an inpatient psych ward. My 
doctor, my psychiatrist had been kind of made aware of the situation and told my husband, hey, if she does need, because it was like going into a weekend, all of this was happening. So she was going to be in her office and she, she just said, you know, if she does end up needing care, then like this is the best hospital in our city for this. Um, So it's it's just, it's a hospital with a psych ward. But I went voluntarily, but when I was admitted, I was Baker acted just because they had concerns about my safety. What does that mean? So the Baker Act, I forget that like not everyone is <laughs> in Florida. <laughs> Lucky you guys. Um, but I mean, it's it's just our term um, for involuntary commitment. So I'm sure like most states have a version of it. But if you present and um, they have reason to believe that you're a danger to yourself or a danger to others, they can hold you against your will. Um, I think the typical length is 72 hours, but then that can be extended. For me, I went to the hospital voluntarily after examining me. They admitted me under an involuntary hold, which meant that I couldn't leave. In my case, they just kept extending that because I was not in a position to leave. So it's a situation where like, if you are there against your will and they refuse to let you leave, you can, you know, go to court and kind of like do a whole thing to try to lift the hold. In my case, it was needed. So it looking back, the fact that I was like involuntarily held in a hospital for two weeks isn't as scary as it probably sounds because like, where was I going to go? You know what I mean? It wasn't safe for me to be around my daughter or my family or anyone because I had like no grasp on what was real, which was very scary. But I will say as someone hearing that, that terrifies me of, because once you're in the system and then they can hold you, I, yeah. I don't know, that gives me no, I definitely a, think a that form it of is. control anxiety, maybe. Like, it what should. was. <laughs> I think that there are definitely instances, like, if anyone's listening and is just curious, I mean, if you Google the Baker Act, that there are instances where this is misused or people are, you know, struggle to get out. I feel okay in my case because I need to be there. I think if I'd been able to like check out and try to leave, I would have. But at that point, it just got worse once I got to the hospital and the delusions were so intense that like one time I remember I like pulled the fire alarm to try to get out of the building because I was so like, I have to get out of here. Like people are trying to hurt my family. I remember thinking that like the hospital was running experiments on people. I was like literally seeing dead bodies in the hallways. And all of this was like, I'm still me. So it's hard to explain, but it's kind of what you said. Like, it's very real. Like, obviously, in retrospect, none of that was happening. But I trusted my mind as much as I trust it now, just having a conversation with you. So it was a really weird time. What was your husband experiencing on the outside of all of this? Not only just you being there, but also going back just for a second to the involuntary hold like what were his emotions around that I think that for him and like I honestly this is the part for me that is maybe the hardest even outside of my experience is that he was home with our 10 day old and we have right. family and we have friends but like you if you're a parent like you know that it's not the same as like your partner is somewhere far away that you are not able to communicate with them you're they're not there and you're trying to you know parent without them. I mean, especially I think he's not like a bumbling man stereotype, but I I do think that I had done more preparation for postpartum and feeding and, and, and like all the things that we look into. 
So to an extent, I think that he'd planned to follow my lead on some of that. And he was suddenly for two and a half weeks, completely on his own, having to figure out every part of her schedule and just like doctor's appointments and just everything, while also calling the hospital daily to talk to my social worker and to try to talk sense into me because I was still wanting to talk to him, but then I'm telling him I'm seeing dead bodies in the hospitals running experiments. You know what I mean? So I feel like for him, he was just like in a really difficult spot because he didn't know if I was going to get better. You know, psychosis can have long-term effects. Thankfully, I recovered, which I feel is the case for most people, but I was gone, you know, for a long time. So Mm -hmm. I think he had his own like therapy separate from me after that, just because it was like such an intense time. It's very traumatic for everyone involved. When you were in the hospital, I know you said you were seeing things and there was still paranoia. Like what, uh, just out of curiosity, what was your day-to-day like in there? Were you speaking with other people? Were you still feeling like you obviously knew you had a daughter in the outside world and your family and all of that. Did you feel like yourself and you were just having these thoughts that felt real? So I was there for 17 days and it definitely varied. I think that toward the end, I started to kind of come back into myself and think about my daughter and think about my family and think about going home. But before then I was, it just was like, there was a span, I think of a couple of days where I thought that I died and gone to hell, that we were all in hell. So, I mean, I was talking to the other patients. I was talking to the nurses. I was telling them, you know, we're all in hell. We're all demons. We're all this, we're all that. Some of this, by the way, I gathered from, I which is not advisable, but I looked at my hospital notes after the fact because I was just curious what would happen to me, you know, and so much of it was a blur. But yeah, I mean, I think that for a decent amount of time, I was definitely not. I mean, I I genuinely thought that I died and that I was stuck mm-hmm. in hell. So it was hard because like I would talk to my husband on the phone, but I would <laughs> be telling him that I was dead. You know, I'd be like asking him like, OK, well, what are we going to do now that I'm dead? But, you know, so I mean, just imagine being on the other end of that call with your relative who two weeks before was like totally normal and had no indication, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely was very social, and very talkative, but not in a normal way at all. And is there anything that you can point your finger to, whether it's through reading your medical notes or your lived experience that helped with the eventual shift back to your reality and your typical mental state? Like what got you to a place where you were then able to exit the hospital? The only thing that worked was medication. They put me on a really high dose of a really strong antipsychotic that like the doctor had been resisting because of the potential side effects, but they reached a point where they started to recommend either ECT, which is like the electrotherapy or, um, or a long-term care facility because I was still having delusions and it had been two weeks and they weren't quite sure, you know, the psych ward is meant to be like a very much like a short term solution. You know what I mean? They're not supposed to be, you're not supposed to be there for months on end. So they, they tried me with a medication that literally just like dulled all of my senses, but I think calmed me down to the point that I was able to sleep. So that was another big part of the equation that I, I just wasn't getting, I wasn't sleeping even at the hospital. 
And then I think I was able to like go to the group therapy classes and do like the activities that they were offering. You know what I mean? Rather than just being like worked up and convinced that terrible things were happening. Now that we are in the swing of things with school, a whole new task has been added to my plate and mental load, and that is packing my toddler's lunches. I've been documenting this journey on TikTok and Instagram, and it seems a lot of you are either in the same boat of trying to figure out what the heck to pack your kids, or just for some reason you find these videos entertaining. But either way, it has forced me to step outside our typical lines when it comes to groceries, and especially as we navigate like following the class allergen restrictions, and that is why I am so grateful for Thrive Market. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. Without fail, I have an order arriving every four to six weeks to replenish our pantry. Not only do they have all of the products I love, like Simple Mills, Chomp, Siete, Three Wishes, Go Macro, and so many more, but I love that they just get delivered right to my door because it is such a freaking time saver. I also love the filters on their site where I can easily just check off gluten-free or not free and see all of the available options. The site is super user-friendly and is always reminding me of products to add to my cart from past orders that I may have forgotten about this time around. We recently just placed an order to load up our pantry with snacks and have options to like put in his lunchbox. And we have so many new family favorites over here. I don't know if you've tried the Good Crisp Company Crisps, but oh my freaking God, we are obsessed. On average, over 30% is saved each time. With this recent order, I saved over $70. You cannot beat that. And if you find a better price somewhere else, they have a price match guarantee. My favorite part about Thrive, though, is that when you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. So you join and they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Cameron for 30% off your order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Cameron, thrivemarket.com slash Cameron. I've been sharing a lot of links on my socials in terms of baby products and things we are loving, and I want to take some time to highlight one of my must-haves for this second round, a product I've talked about on here before and I know is going to come in clutch at some point in the future is Bronze Thermoscan 7 Plus Ear Thermometer. As a parent, you're probably familiar with Braun as they are a trusted 100-year-old brand with quality products that are built to last. But let me tell you about their ear thermometers that are clinically proven to be as accurate as rectal so that you don't have to compromise your baby's comfort for the sake of accuracy. Since a fever in newborns can be more concerning, the fever threshold is lower. Braun has developed age precision technology to take the guesswork out. The Braun Thermoscan 7 Plus Ear Thermometer provides age-based fever guidance with a green, yellow, or red reading. This helps parents so they can understand the severity of the fever based on the child's age, and they don't need to spend time looking up information. Because let me tell you, when facing any type of situation where your kid is sick, the last thing you want to do is be stuck in a Google hole. Especially given that I now have a toddler and newborn, this age-based fever guidance is so beneficial and helpful and will absolutely save me time in the future. This app is a game changer for those middle of the night fever episodes when you can't remember the last time you gave a kid medicine and now another child is sick. Now you can keep everything together in one place for the whole family. As someone who has found themselves exhausted, sleep deprived, and struggling to remember the details and numbers of all of these things when their child is sick, this is an absolute savior. 
To get yours, visit Amazon, search for Braun Smart Thermometer, and use code 10FRECKLED at checkout for $10 off your order. When you eventually were released, what's the aftercare like when exiting from something like that? So I feel, um, you know, very lucky that I had my husband, my parents, and had a psychiatrist who, you know, was able to, I mean, I'm sure that there are a lot of people in that situation who go home and then are just, it's just like, they're struggling with their baby and maybe a partner if they're lucky. You know, I had a lot of people around me. I met with my psychiatrist weekly for probably two months to just adjust my medication and kind of get me to like a baseline. And then the not so funny thing, it's like not funny, but it's just like, I don't know if anyone else is like this, but I went back to work two weeks after I like, oh my gosh, came back from all of this because I was just like, well, one, like self-employed. So like, I was like, I have to <laughs> I have to make money. We have all these hospital bills now. But I also was just like not wanting to process or cope at that point. So I was just like, all right, I'm back. I'm normal. We're going to just hop back into things, which was like a terrible idea. But for me, it was definitely like a lot of therapy combined with like the psychiatrist and also figuring out how to take care of a baby. It was, it was like a really wild time. Right. Because that's still a very fresh baby. Yes. And experience for you as a person who's experiencing postpartum. Was there fear for you of it returning? Yes. I think that I... I think the biggest thing for me was just no longer feeling like I could trust my mind. I remember that there was a time where I like thought I saw like a flicker of a shadow or something across the house. And you know, like how you'll see things. So I yeah, my husband like, oh, did you see that? That was weird. And he was like, oh, I didn't see anything. And I had a panic attack because I was like, okay, like it's happening again. I'm seeing things that aren't real. I'm hearing things that aren't real. So it really took a lot of therapy and literally like I have a list bookmarked on my computer of like warning signs for this, you know, what to look out for. And I kind of have to remind myself, okay, if I like hear a sound that isn't there or whatever, that doesn't mean that this is like a full blown psychotic episode. I'm most at risk for reoccurrence after childbirth, you know, with postpartum psychosis. So my husband and I do want to have another child down the road. And I think for me, then it will just be a lot of preparation and planning for like every possible outcome. I think that that's at this point what I think about most, because like that is the time where it's like, okay, this could realistically be a problem again. I was going to ask that, but I also know that it's a very fragile question to ask <laughs> you can women ask if they're it. interested in having another child. Yeah. I mean, that was something I was thinking of even with not the same experience, but just the mental health struggles I experienced during pregnancy and postpartum going into this pregnancy, definitely more alert, but also scared and yeah. simultaneously hopeful. And it's really, it's confusing. And I'm sure there's almost a level of I would imagine PTSD for you oh, yeah. to potentially bring up going through all of that. So that I think could be a whole other episode. But are you someone who is like wishing you could have another kid now, but you're waiting because you want to be in a more stable ground? Or are you like, no matter what, we're not ready. I want to feel more comfortable and confident with all of this before moving into it again. Now I'm just like, there's... <laughs> 
I think that I think that you've shared about your pregnancy. That I don't know if you remember, like where you weren't trying, right? It was like an unplanned pregnancy. No, no, okay. two surprise pregnancies. So yeah. I'm in this place where like I have so much going on. <laughs> like I'm like waiting for there to be a good time for me to be like, okay, like I'm gonna take time off. I'm gonna try to get pregnant. So I don't know. I'm like maybe it'll happen to me like that where it just happens and then I have to like just take a break from work and just like be pregnant. That honestly would be preferable to me because I just keep putting it off. I do think that like, I definitely want to be pregnant. And I think that when it happens, I have the resources, will be prepared, will have, you know, nine months to like line up every sort of contingency plan. But just as far as timing, I'm just like, oh, I don't really want to be pregnant right now. It's fair. <laughs> Very fair. Is there something that, or multiple things that you wish you had known having now lived this experience for people who are about to experience postpartum or just, I don't know if it's warning signs or if it's just knowledge. Is there anything that you wish you had known before all this had happened? Yeah. So I always say that it's like such a fine line with causing unnecessary anxiety and also informing people. It's hard. I mean, I had a very like traumatic miscarriage before I got pregnant with my daughter and I was very anxious. Thank you. But I was very anxious. And I remember I I thought like if I read about postpartum psychosis, I would have been something else to spiral about. I would have been like freaked out. But I think that the balance for me is just like knowing, as you said, the warning signs, which just for memory are irritability, mood swings, not needing to sleep. It's a huge one. I think that my doctor says that may have been the trigger for me. I just wasn't sleeping. And that combined with the hormonal crash, was, it was just too much for my, for my body to bear. And then there are also like more obvious signs like hallucinations, delusions, paranoia. But I think that if you're dealing with wild mood swings and you're struggling, you know, you, you don't feel like you need to sleep. It's definitely worth talking to your doctor about. I, I'll add that postpartum psychosis is very uncommon. It's, I think, one to two out of every. Now I'm like going to want the statistic, but it, it, it's it's very uncommon. Let me. Of course, I forget it like the second that we're talking about it. No, it's, fine. <laughs> it's either 100 or 1000, but I didn't want to guess. Anyway. One to two. Okay, it says one to two per one thousand women okay. after delivery. One to two per one thousand. So yeah, I mean it doesn't happen often, but I mean since I've started writing about this, I've had at least like fifteen people reach out to me who's, who've said that they've experienced this or a loved one has. So I'm like, okay, it's happening enough that we should all know what to look out for. Absolutely. And then for those people who are messaging you, or for people who are listening to this who I doubt people who are in it are listening to this, but maybe who have experienced it and are coming to terms with their experience. Do you have words for them or things that you remind yourself of when you reflect back on the experience, whether it's a mantra or an affirmation or just words of encouragement? Yeah, I think that I have had to wrestle with why I was fine being depressed for years and could talk about that with strangers. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I have depression. But this was so shameful for me. And I think that I've just had to remind myself, like, psychotic symptoms are not inherently worse or more embarrassing than any other mental health condition. And then also, just as far as, like, saying and doing things that I regret, my therapist told me something where she was kind of like, just like with a credit card, how, like, if you build up good credit, then 
you're reliable and, you know, if you miss a payment or whatever, like, you know, it's like they your bank is understanding. So that was her example of like if you are someone who has an experience like psychosis where you're acting bizarrely or you're saying things that you regret Overall, if your history is that of someone who is like well-adjusted and kind and (laughs) cares for people, which was not me during the episode, but I'd like to think as me generally, like people are very forgiving of that. You know what I mean? So I think that I had to remind myself, like my loved ones are not lording this over me. They're not thinking, okay, she accused me of being a baby killer. How dare she like she's insane. You know what I mean? They're looking at our long history together and thinking this was a very unfortunate blip on the radar, but it's not, it's not the whole story. So I feel like that's like so much longer than a word of encouragement, but that's something that's that's really helped me. Very helpful. Yeah. And what are your emotions now being, how old is your daughter? Three, two and a half? She's about to be three. Yeah. Okay. So what are your emotions now, almost three years out from the experience reflecting back, do you have, I imagine there's some form of trauma, but also do you feel sad for that version of you or do you want to hug her? Like, what are your feelings towards that stage of your life? I think that I I do feel a lot of sadness. I, I think that I look back right before I gave birth and think about like, I guess you could really do for any traumatic event in your life and think like, I had no idea what was coming. You know, Mm -hmm. I had no idea how bad things were going to get. But I also think that like, I'll look back at pictures of myself from right after that time and just feel very proud. I'm like, okay, I've come a long way and I have built this beautiful life and I have such like a just, great family. And, you know, I I think that I try to remember that, um, I don't know, everything kind of came together in the end. So it's a mix of things. But I definitely do think that there is a lot of sadness, especially just because like, I feel like I went through a phase where like, I just couldn't be on social media because everyone, it's just like, it always happens this way. Like, everyone was having like perfect births and like beautiful postpartum, like after I (laughs) got back because I took time, you know, away from my phone and computer when all this was happening. But I got back online and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, like I gave birth and it was great. Like I've enjoyed maternity leave. And I just like wanted to scream. And I think that now I have let go of some of that resentment and been like, okay, like my story is my story. That's okay. It's okay Mm -hmm. if it wasn't all good. Yeah, absolutely. And I've had this conversation with multiple friends randomly over the past week of everyone's experience from conception to postpartum and in between is so different. Yeah. And everyone is going to go through something and it might not be the same thing you're going through or to the same extent or extremity, but everyone has something and it's best just the comparison game only hurts. I want to ask because... As a black woman experiencing this, you know, the maternal mortality rate for black women is, I believe, three times higher. I don't know if it's since shifted. But did you have feelings with this situation that involved your race of feeling like maybe you weren't being taken as seriously as you should have? Or is it on the other side, gratitude that you got through to the other side? Are there feelings that you have around all of that? 
I feel that more toward my birth because I had an emergency C-section and a doctor who was very like nonchalant about the fact that my daughter's heart rate was dropping. And I remember very vividly thinking about the statistics and thinking like, I wish my mom was here because I just felt like I needed more support. As far as the psychosis goes, I think that I, I do feel like the hospital treated me well. I think that I had the privilege though of having a doctor who cared enough to, instead of just saying, Hey, take her to the nearest ER say, okay, this is the hospital with the doctors who like are going to be able to treat her. I think that if I just like shown up at a random local hospital, it may have, who knows what kind of care I would have received. But I, I definitely think that I got very lucky that the medical team at the hospital was very diverse and was, it was very helpful and compassionate. I asked because I have friends not in this specific world of medical care, but who are experiencing other medical disabilities and have mixed feelings on their care. And I do, obviously, I can't speak from my own experience, but from what I've heard and read and witnessed with some of my friends, it's a very real thing. Yeah, for sure. It definitely is. How do you feel with your mental health currently and moving forward? Like, where are you at now? I think that I'm about where I was before getting pregnant, which <laughs> which is good and bad. I mean, I definitely still have a lot of anxiety and have to like make a conscious effort to get out of bed sometimes. But I, I think that I definitely feel more in control and I feel more knowledgeable than I was before. So I think that, yeah, I feel more more empowered more than anything. And I think that that's like the beauty of having had a child. Cause like now thinking about it in the future, I'm like, okay, I don't know what that's going to bring, but I've been through some unknowns. Like you mentioned with like depression and pregnancy, like you've, you have an idea, like this could happen. So you're not blindsided by it. You know what I mean? Like you're thinking about it, you're preparing for it. You're talking to your doctor about it. So yeah, I think that, I think I'm about, about where I was before all of this, which like I can't complain about. Well, thank you so much for being so vulnerable and honest and open and sharing your experience. And I'm so happy to know you through social media, but also that you're in a place now where you're comfortable sharing your experience because whether the people are reaching out to you directly or not, I'm sure you're impacting and helping a lot of people out there. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is like seriously such an honor and so glad that I could join you. Of course. For people who want more of you, where can they best support you? Yeah. So Instagram is probably the easiest place to find me. My handle is my first, middle, and last name. I'm always like afraid I'm going to spell it wrong. (laughs) Does that ever happen to anyone else? Okay. I think I've got it though. So it's Ayana Gabrielle Lage, A-Y-A-N-A-G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E-L-A-G-E. But usually if you like start typing it, the rest will pop up. It'll pop up. And it'll all be linked in the show notes. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on here. Yeah. Thanks again. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. I have so much fun recording the show. It is my favorite part of my job and truly is what lights me up. Your feedback and response to every episode is what keeps me going. And if this episode resonated with you, please feel free to DM me over on Instagram or share on your stories. If you are looking for a way to support the show, please rate and or review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. It means the world to me and it really helps the show grow. 
please also make sure to hit subscribe so that you are up to date with new episodes coming at you every Wednesday morning. And of course, please be sure to follow me on Instagram and TikTok at, at Cameron Oaks Rogers. I love you and I appreciate your support so much. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.